Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. So what kind of salary will make you happy? Talk about a loaded question going into a Labor Day holiday weekend. Well, it all depends on where you live. Today on the show, we'll check in with the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades and the Transportation Communications Union. Welcome to the Friday, September 1st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Dorsey Hager will be joining us as our first guest on the show today. He'll be our featured guest, and he serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org, which is so appropriate for what's going on in Central Ohio. That area is on fire. It's being called the new Silicon Valley because of the Intel presence there. That should be ready in a couple of years. Amazon is building. Google just announced another $1.7 billion investment. We'll touch on that. We'll talk about how the building trades in that area are getting ready for all of this work. Also, what we're going to get into is Davis Bacon. Now, we talked about this on the show a couple of days ago. It was the Wednesday show, which is archived on awfpodcast.com. And we spoke with Sean McGarvey, president of the National Building Trades, North American Building Trades, better known as uh, NABTU. And uh, this essentially is a change in Davis-Bacon that needed to be done 40 years ago. When Reagan got into office, he decided to whittle back a lot of labor protections, and prevailing wage was one of them. Dorsey's going to spell out how that will change wage structures especially in central Ohio. Very, very important. We want to make sure that if you're working on a project, you get the proper wages, and that's what this is all about. That's why we started prevailing wage back in the Depression. So we'll get into that. Also, the uh, defeat of Issue 1, which many are still celebrating in the state of Ohio. So he'll be our first guest. Our second guest on the show is Dave Aruka. Dave serves as National Legislative Director for the Transportation Communications Union, which is affiliated with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And we're going to talk about rail safety, primarily precision scheduled railroading, PSR, what it is and what it is not. Now, PSR was billed as a revolutionary operating model for the railroads. They promise more on-time performance better scheduling for customers, and all-around more efficient business model. Well, guess what? That's not the case. It's not precise, nor well-scheduled, and it hardly resembles railroading. It's a boom to the owners of the rail industry, no doubt about that. But uh, what we're going to primarily focus on is the Brotherhood of Railway Carmen, how important they are. Now, they are the ones that inspect maintain and repair both passengers and freight rail cars around the country. Very important job. But guess what? The carmen have been decimated. 
over the past several years in the PSR era, they lost about 33 to 40 percent of the Carmen in the freights over the last six to seven years. And when you see an accident on the rails, that's primarily why, because they're not being inspected like they should be. So that's exactly where the uh, Transportation Communications Union comes in. Now, there is a rail safety bill in the halls of Congress, primarily in the Senate, and it needs a couple of more votes, and that's exactly what Dave is going to talk about on the show. Dave Aruka, Transportation Communications Union National Legislative Director. And now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, and equity investment options to clients nationwide. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. All right, what kind of salary will make you happy? I know this is a pretty loaded question. You're probably going to say, oh, I need a couple million dollars. Well, in all honesty, they did a survey on this, and if you're looking for a salary that will make you happy, it will likely take close to one hundred thousand dollars on average this is the average salary people say will make them happy ninety four thousand six hundred and ninety six dollars a year now residents in some states however would be happy earning far less in 33 states residents named average salaries under one hundred thousand dollars as their ideal incomes new hampshire and delaware residents wouldn't even need to make $50,000 to be happy. Residents in New Hampshire said on average $42,000 a year would make them happy. The smallest salary in all 50 states. Those from Delaware need a little more, but still we're talking about $47,000. Now, just to run down some of the states. Now, some, some salaries are below what they want. I'll give you an example here. Mississippi is a good example. The average salary needed to be happy in the state of Mississippi. This is a right-to-work state. Wages are lower there. That would be $57,500. The median annual salary in Mississippi, and this is really sad going into the Labor Day weekend, that's $36,109. Kansas is another one. Average salary needed to be happy, $61,600. The medium salary there, 41870 Just a little snippet of what workers would like going into a Labor Day holiday weekend. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. 
whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple, 8WF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go down to Columbus, Ohio, and joining us on our live line, longtime supporter of America's workforce, Mr. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Build Central OH is their uh, Twitter handle and the website columbusconstruction.org. Every time I talk to Dorsey, and this is making me sick too, because he's got so much work for Central Ohio. It needs to be spread into other areas. That's my opinion, but it's not happening. Maybe it will sometime. Dorsey, what what's now Google? You're telling me Google already has a presence down there and they're expanding what is it over a billion dollars what what's the latest going on down there brother yeah so uh, google has uh, currently three campuses that are either completed or still under construction they have a data center on south high street in south columbus it's getting ready to be completed here very soon there'll be some support buildings for that they're constructing a campus in lancaster which is about 45 miles southeast of columbus they've got uh, a campus in New Albany, which is kind of the tech center, um, some people say of the Midwest, I'll, I'll go as far to say as the United States or maybe even the world, I think we're up to 56 data centers now, but obviously New Albany um, with Intel, Google, Facebook, uh, and everything that's going on up there, they have a third campus up there. They're looking for land and looking to expand with a fourth campus to increase their central Ohio presence here. And um, obviously there's a lot of rumors where that fourth campus could be Nothing concrete yet, and I know that folks are working on it, but their announcement yesterday was an additional $1.7 billion investment into Central Ohio to support the campuses that they already have, either with additional tech and data centers or uh, support buildings like offices, maintenance, stuff like that. So, you know, um, last time we were on the show, we talked about Amazon's, uh, I think it was $10.7 billion investment. Of course, everybody reads every day about Intel and the $20 billion for the first fab and the additional, you know, what could be $80 billion if they build out over the next 25 years, the additional uh, um, three to four phases. Um, we've talked about Facebook expanding out in New Albany. We've talked about the plant in Honda, the battery-powered plant, $4.5 billion. So you throw another $1.7 billion on from Google, and, uh, you know, it's like somebody once said, billion here, billion there. And eventually you're talking about real money, so it's starting to add up. 
Dorsey, I have to ask you, obviously the seeds were planted for this tremendous growth, tremendous development in central Ohio. Maybe you could take us back to that time and and tell us how this actually materialized, because it's really amazing. I I know there's some federal policy involved, especially with Intel and the Chips and Science Act and all that. But central Ohio, can you uh, can you explain why it's happening in that area? Yeah, so I I, I think there's a lot of reasons for it that factor in. And it's it's kind of like. you know, I used this analogy with my wife the other day. Uh, a field goal kicker misses a kick at the end of the game, and everybody blames him for the loss. Well, it's not his kick that missed. It could have been a block in the second quarter, or it could have been a run in the first quarter, or a pass, you know, right before halftime. There's a lot of things, and I think this is the same way. I don't think it's one thing. And I'll start back in the early to mid-'80s, you know, when there was talk about the Internet and all this stuff coming forward, and it was in its early developmental stages. I think there was a lot of investors and a lot of people here especially the new Albany company and the folks out there that really invested into uh, high fiber optics and high speed, um, you know, uh, I guess you would say transmission lines. When you say transmission, I know people think about electric, but I'm talking about like internet and, and fast moving information technology and stuff. And I think there was investments there. And I think that that is what in the future from then here recently has drawn people to central Ohio, specifically that, 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 uh, that northeast corner of Franklin County or that western part of Licking County is New Albany and the, and the fiber optics and the high speed and everything that's there. Then you fast forward to Jobs, Ohio and One Columbus, who they work very closely together. And we're fortunate enough to belong to One Columbus. And we work close with Kenny McDonald, Matt McAllister, and Jeff Polisowski and the guys. Um, you know, when they go out and they find people to come here and look at sites in Columbus and Central Ohio, whether it's an electric vehicle power battery plant, whether it's a medical center, whether it's a research place, whether it's Amgen or Pharmavite, which is pharmaceuticals, or it's an Intel or a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon tech, you know, they come to us. We help with the manpower maps. We help answer the questions that could be answered about workforce, about apprenticeship, about pre-apprenticeship, about manning the jobs and maintaining the jobs with local people that reflect the community, you know, veterans, people of color and women. I think that adds into it as well. I think the governor and lieutenant governor and the legislature and some of the things that they've done uh, politically and legislatively to make Columbus and Central Ohio and the whole state a very proactive place for, for people to come here and for business to be. Then I think you talk about our public university system, not only Ohio State, but you also talk about here in Central Ohio, we're fortunate to have Otterbein and Capital. Ohio Wesleyan, Denison, and then you expand a little bit. We even have Wilmington College. We have Dayton. We have Wright State. And we have a great community college system with Clark State and Columbus State. So it's producing a lot of people that have the ability to be trained to go into a lot of these tech center jobs. And I think you put all this together, and I just think it's an incubator for development and progress. And, you know, it's like I said a couple of weeks ago, nobody wants to be the person on the sideline sticking their stick in the spoke of the wheel of development and slowing this down. Everybody wants to help and keep pushing it forward to be able to create more and more opportunities for folks, whether they want to be in the building trades, whether they want to go to work uh, in logistics or a truck driver moving things and materials from one place to the other, whether they want to go into the healthcare field, which is constantly going uh, crazy here, whether they want to go into research and development in the pharmaceutical field, or whether they want to go into the tech center, you know, writing code, working in data centers, stuff like that. So I just think it creates a lot of opportunities. I don't think you can put your finger on one thing. Um, I think a lot of things that everybody's doing and rowing in the same direction and working together has really helped. And then, you know, we can't, 
um, not talk about what the federal government has done, especially under the leadership of President Biden. And I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Um, there was an article I was interviewed for in the Boston Globe last week that, that, that hit over the weekend. And there's a lot of folks in rural areas that really aren't giving him the credit for the Intels, the Facebooks, and the Hondas. But a lot of the things that he has passed, and you talked about it, the CHIPS Act and also the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, has set it up to really benefit businesses that do right, you know, that pay uh, living wages, that provide child care to their female employees, that, um, you know, invest in apprenticeship. And, and I think a lot of those things have also helped keep development going. And I think it's an all-hands-on-deck approach here, and I think we're really doing well. We're starting to benefit from everything that's going on. And, and, you know, I know you hear about it monthly when you have me on, and I appreciate that opportunity. But, yeah, we're very fortunate here in Columbus and Central Ohio, and the folks that live here are fortunate, too, because there's a lot of opportunities. You mentioned those uh, plants in various states. I want to call attention to one in particular, and you probably have been watching this story. It's it's the one in Arizona, and I believe it's uh, a joint venture with uh, a Taiwanese company. And uh, they're having some problems out there. And apparently uh, it's, it's part of the work ethic that they brought over from Taiwan. They're not corresponding with American workers. They want to bring some foreign workers over there to help out. I don't think that's a problem in, in central Ohio. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you know about that? And how, how different is, is it in central Ohio when compared to that one, Dorsey? Yeah, from everything I've read out there, and, and there's always, you know, rumors about things like that happening. I know here um, down south at the uh, paper plant uh, that was built in Circleville about seven, eight years ago, I know that they brought um, people from overseas in to help construct that because they felt that the, the workforce that was to build paper mills and stuff wasn't available here. And obviously we tried to dispel that rumor, and that's when we started really making sure that we were taking care of what we can take care of and investing in apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship and outreach and recruitment, getting into the middle schools and the high schools and letting folks know about these great opportunities. And once they take advantage of these opportunities, getting them trained up so that way they're the most skilled um, workforce here in Columbus and Central Ohio to be able to take care of this. So, so I think that's one thing that we've done that's really helped. I think the other thing that we've done is um, as we um, reach out and, and, and work on some of our workforce development plans and stuff, I think a lot of our agents, a lot of our managers, or a lot of our um, training directors really have progressive thinking and progressive ideas. And, and we've been blessed to be able to go to Portland, to be able to go to Phoenix and learn not only the things that have worked out there when they've had these big tech booms, but also maybe learn from some of their mistakes and, you know, here in Columbus, you know, Pat Hook and myself were at a meeting yesterday, um, about, <laughs> not a billion-dollar job, but about an $850 million job. And obviously the, the customer was, was leery of, of workforce and stuff, and we told him, we said, you know, IBW683 is a great example. 200 apprentices when I took over eight years ago, they have over 500 apprentices today, and their goal is to have 1,000 next summer. You know, their, their total um, – their total local numbers have grown from 900 members to 2,600 members. So they're meeting the challenges. You know, the plumbers and pipe fitters, 189, are quadrupling their training space. Sheet metal workers.
workers and the roofers have both bought new training spaces that are going to grow, expand, and also um, update their training spaces. So it's state-of-the-art, and they're training their folks on the newest things. The insulators are looking at a new training space as well. Um, IBW 1105 in Licking County, which is benefiting from a lot of the tech boom, they're you know taking in more and more apprentices every day. They just graduated their biggest class, and they just took in their largest class. So I think that we're doing what needs to be done to withstand some of those murmurs or some of those threats of people bringing in an outside workforce, whether it's from out of the Mm -hmm. country or from out of state. And we've got to keep working with our locals, our contractors, our training directors, our apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship programs to make sure that we're taking care of the needs of all the customers and end users so it doesn't happen here. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the leadership between Intel and that other company, and that there might be some conflicts there. They, they just don't seem to understand the the workforce in those respective areas. And you're dealing with Arizona, which is a right-to-work state. I mean, there, there's some complications, but there's a lot of these plants, and we've talked about this on the show with uh, various uh, people, including Bill Samuel, legislative director for the AFL-CIO. There's been some really good policies coming out, especially in the first two years of the Biden administration. And many of those job opportunities went to southern states where unions don't have the presence like they would in the state of Ohio. But nonetheless, you deal with what you can deal with. And uh, the important thing, it's moving in the right direction, especially in central Ohio. And uh, the amount of work that is available in central Ohio, can you quantify how many years we're looking into the future? Because we're trying to get more people in the trades, and a lot of people are wondering, well, maybe it's good now, maybe next year. We're talking a pretty significant amount, significant amount of time, aren't we, Dorsey? Yeah, I think when I, again, when I first took this job nine years ago, I think if I went to a middle school or a high school, I could tell a parent that, you know, the opportunity for your son or daughter is there for six months, 12 months, maybe 18, you know, we're building this hospital, we're building this elementary school, we're building this rec center. And, you know, and a lot of the commercial work that we did, uh, when it was done, you walked away from it and you never went back. Now with a lot of the projects that are coming, whether they're billion-dollar data centers, uh, multi-billion-dollar chip plants, or, or just $150 million ice hockey arenas or, or, or medical clinics, I think that there's so many of them on the books and there's so much maintenance involved with the upkeep on this and the expansion as our population in Columbus and Central Ohio grows. I can honestly go and talk to a parent, talk to a middle schooler or a high schooler and say that the work outlook for the next 10 years is really, really good. And beyond 10 years, I think it's just going to balloon. I mean, we haven't even talked about all the infrastructure that's going to be coming from the Biden administration because he passed the, the Transportation Act and the Infrastructure Act. We haven't talked about the need for hospitals, churches, and schools as our population grows. We haven't talked about all the solar work yet that's just now starting to hit that's going to be coming as all these companies, all these end users, all these customers want to be green energy efficient. We haven't even talked about the suppliers at Intel and that Honda are going to bring here to support the chip making, but also to support the battery and the automotive industry that's going to continue to grow here in Columbus and Central Ohio with the significant investments made uh, by Honda of America. So I think we're just scratching the surface, but confidently I can say 10 years. I would not be surprised if some of our apprentices that are in school now or some of our journey people that have just turned out don't end up working on the same project or same job site for the next 15 to 20 years, which in my early career in construction was absolutely unheard of. Amazing. Truly amazing. 
Dorsey Hager joining us on our live line today. He's Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. More to come from uh, Dorsey. In fact, we're going to talk about the new Davis-Bacon rules. Very, very important stuff. Later in the show, we're going to be checking in with Dave Aruka, National Representative and National Legislative Director for the Transportation Communications Union, talking about rail safety, real important issue. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org, for more information. Let's go back to Central Ohio, rejoin Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Dorsey, I'd like to get your take on these uh, new Davis-Bacon rules, which essentially mean higher pay and tougher enforcement. And, you know, when Davis-Bacon came out, this was back in the Depression yet, it was definitely a giant step in the right direction. And then in the 80s, when uh, Reagan became president, they kind of chipped away. Of course, <laughs> they chipped away on a lot of things in the last uh, 30, 40 years. But uh, you've got to be pretty excited about this because, in fact, I read an article about uh, these changes, and it's going to affect, uh, well, it's going to affect the entire country. Obviously, this is federal policy. They made some examples of some uh, highway construction in your area, in central Ohio. I'd like to get your take on, on these changes, Dorsey. Go ahead. 
Yeah. So first of all, I think a good place to start, and you and I have talked about it, and I just had a conversation with somebody this morning about it. Um, obviously, um, former Boston mayor, former head of the Boston Building Trades, Marty Walsh, and former Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh um, was a tremendous asset for us in the Biden administration. I know some people are obviously um, sad that he left, but we was presented with a tremendous opportunity to be head of the uh, NHLPA, the Players Association uh, for the National Hockey League. It's a tremendous opportunity, so you can't fold him on that. But I know some of us, I don't want to use the word apprehensive, that was too strong, but wanted to make sure that Julie Sue would step in and take over with the same ideas and principles that the Biden administration has been doing and that Marty uh, Walsh had done while he was there. And Julie seems like, uh, Labor Sec- or, uh, Secretary Sue seems like she's doing absolutely that. Um, she had an announcement from Philadelphia with Vice President Harris a couple of weeks ago and talking about these DOL changes, especially as they go to uh, Davis-Bacon. And one of the things that I thought was tremendous, there's lots of great stuff in here, and I'm still reading and educating myself on it. But one of the things I thought that was tremendous was raising the prevailing wage on Davis-Bacon. That reflected 30% of the workers in the area, not just 50%. And obviously, when it comes to Department of uh, Transportation and doing heavy highway and stuff like that, that, that goes over several miles, one of the spots that they um, – gave an example of was like, you know, maybe I-70 from Columbus to Springfield. If that project is between Columbus and Springfield, the workers on that project should be receiving the prevailing wage rate of the highest market, which obviously would be Columbus because it's a bigger city, a little bit higher cost of living, not Springfield. In the past, what some companies were doing, uh, open shop, obviously, especially in, like we had mentioned earlier in the segment, right to work states, was they were paying the lower of the wage between the two municipalities and not the higher of the wage, which was obviously hurting workers and, you know, their their efforts to be able to provide for their families and stuff. So I think that's the big one that came out of the announcement. They also segued into the, uh, you know, Infrastructure uh, Investment and Jobs Act. They talked about the CHIPS Act, how the construction uh, you know, will obviously benefit all workers, union and non-union, who are helping. Obviously, here we're very fortunate that Intel and Honda is under a project labor agreement, which guarantees that the members working on those projects will come out of our hiring halls and they'll be receiving top wages, top benefits uh, to be able to provide for themselves and family, but also be huge assets to the local economy. And you know, the the, Inf- the Inflation Reduction Act and some of these DOL changes, you know, I'm taking my time to educate myself on them as well because I think it's a tremendous selling point when we go out and we meet with some of these people who are doing highway work or municipality road work or especially these solar developers who are looking to do solar work. You know, the prior to 2023, there was only a requirement for 10% of apprentices on these projects. After 2023, It'll be 15% because, as we've spoken before, you know, Labor Secretary Walsh, now to President Sean McGarvey, and also President Biden have said that if all these opportunities are coming down the pipe for people, we want the building trades to be the leader, which I think we have been, and give the people from the underserved community who haven't had an opportunity to get into the middle class to have these opportunities. And I think that's why he's written a lot of these DOL regs and a lot of these things dealing with apprenticeship and tax abatements and stuff into the Inflation Reduction Act and into uh, some of these changes in DOL regs and stuff and also into Davis-Bacon. So I think it's going to benefit everybody. I think it's going to benefit the community. And I think it's been good for workers, uh, you know, male, female, white, black, union, and non-union. It's going to help raise everybody, and it's going to be great for everyone. It'll be interesting to see the data 
when this is calculated. And this is this rule, by the way, is it in effect now? Is this something immediate to your knowledge that uh, that the yeah. Biden administration imposed? Yeah, this goes into effect now. And like I said, I'm still reading through it. And I'm, I'm trying to make understanding of it. But I know starting after 2023, it's going to raise apprenticeship requirements and you have to be document the apprenticeship requirements uh, to 15 percent. But also it's going to increase um, tax benefits and tax breaks for green energy, especially when it comes to solar. So I know that myself and Pat Hook from the IBW, when we go out and we meet with solar developers and we're talking about making sure that they're using union labor and they're using contractors um, that, that have, uh, you know, state indentured apprentices, uh, you know, whether it's the IBW or the laborers or the operating engineers, you know, that's a big selling point for them if they can get six times the tax credit just because they're paying the area standard and utilizing 15% apprenticeship to create more opportunities for people that need some of that on-the-job work experience. I like that analogy that you brought up because uh, there's some in Congress that don't like workers, especially union workers, making high wages. I mean, that's the bottom line. And to your point, you mentioned like a city like Columbus where you got high union density in Springfield, not as much. So there are some that figure, well, the people that are working on that highway that connects the two cities, they should be paid what they would be paid in Springfield and not Columbus. And uh, the, the sad part about this there, I mean, they did get their way back in the 1980s under the Reagan administration, and it took this long to, to turn that around. So I like, I like what's happening here. I know you, as head of the building trades, definitely like that. But again, I'd like to, it'll be interesting to see the data, to see the reflection in wages and those paychecks for those workers. And it's going to be, when you think about it, it's going to be pretty monumental down the road, no doubt about that. But this was a policy that started when Marty Walsh was uh, the labor secretary. So good things happen. You just got to wait for them to happen. <laughs> Definitely. There's another issue here, too, and I guess some congratulations uh, for you, the team that uh, you have in central Ohio, and we've done several interviews since uh, issue one went down in flames, 57%. Uh, margin and uh, you and I talked about that how this would affect affect certain bond issues in the state of Ohio I would imagine the celebrations are still happening in central Ohio right uh, Dorsey the celebrations are still happening um, you're absolutely right um, you know on election night it was crazy my friend Steve Stein uh, president of the firefighters union opened up his hall emceed the events uh, was covered live on CNN, which was incredible uh, to see everybody celebrating that democracy won one person, one vote and issue one was soundly defeated. Um, obviously, uh, Dennis Willard from the campaign, John Hazley, tremendous job, tremendous job on the labor front. Tim Berger from the Ohio AFL-CIO, Mike Nisley uh, from the Ohio State Building Trades, rounding up the troops getting into their pockets, getting donations, making sure we had enough money to get the message out, which I think that we did. And then Mike Curtin, former state rep, former uh, editor of the Columbus Dispatch, um, you know, doing the historical significance, debating uh, Secretary of State LaRose and also uh, Mike Gonadakis. Uh, they debated uh, along with House Minority Leader Allison Russo. Mike Curtin and Allison Russo debated them on a debate that went um, statewide that was hosted by Colleen Marshall on NBC Channel 4. Um, and I think they did a tremendous job, like I said, messaging, raising money to be able to get our message out, 
Matt Smith at the Ohio AFL-CIO helped run a tremendous campaign, too, really going into those areas and those counties that Trump had won. And I think that from the data that I saw from Matt, Putnam County was the only county where issue one outperformed Donald Trump. Every other county, rural county that Donald Trump won, issue one was less than the amount that Donald Trump had won that county. So I think we were able to go into those red counties, siphon off those votes, run up big, big, big numbers in um, Cuyahoga County, Franklin County, Montgomery County, Hamilton County, Lucas County. And I think that that's why we were victorious. I think the final count was 57-43, which, you know, two touchdowns. I think I'll take that any time. But uh Obviously excited. Now we got to strap it back up, get ready for November. Election day's right around the corner, as it always seems like it is. And then hope that uh, former Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor gets her language taken care of with the Secretary of State. We can get that on the ballot next year in 2024 so we can put an end to gerrymandering. Certainly a nice way to uh, button up the show going into a Labor Day holiday weekend. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary, Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Speaking of Labor Day, any big plans for the uh, upcoming weekend here, brother? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to go over to uh, Bloomington with some friends and family and hopefully bring a Buckeye victory back to Columbus. Then we're going to celebrate the Labor Day weekend by the pool, drinking some uh, union-made adult beverages, eating some union-made food, as I hope everybody does. And I hope they spend time with friends and family and enjoy it, because then we're back into the short and four-day work week, and then it's time to strap it up and get ready for the Browns home opener against Cincinnati, which I will be there. And as always, I will call and check in to let you know I'm in your backyard flash. So that's what I hope everybody does for Labor Day. I love it. Dorsey, you take care. Stay safe. We'll talk to you in a month, okay? All right, you too. Thanks, Flash, and have a great Labor Day weekend. You got it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Dave Aruka is the National Legislative Director for the Transportation Communication Union. He's going to talk about rail safety, or lack thereof. That story coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud listener of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. 
America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to line number two right now. Welcome a newcomer to the show. His name is Dave Aruka, and he's with the Transportation Communications Union, which is affiliated with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Dave serves as national legislative director. We're going to talk about what's going on on the rails, precision scheduled railroading, PSR for short, that and uh, the unsafe conditions. And I'll tell you, many of them have come to light because of that horrible situation in East Palestine, Ohio. And apparently that was a call to action. But the question is, will Congress do anything about it? Dave Aruka, welcome to uh, America's workforce. I know there's some legislation they're trying to craft, but why don't you first talk to me about your union, the Transportation Communications Union. This is kind of new to me. So if you can uh, pick it up from there, go ahead, brother. Sure. Uh, thanks for, for having me. So, um, you know, TCU, we are, you know, a part of the machinist union, but um, we're kind of uh, independent in our own right in many respects. But uh, we are primarily a, a railroad union uh, representing several different crafts in the rail industry, uh, clerical, uh, supervisory, intermodal, and uh, you know, pertinent to this conversation is the uh, Brotherhood of Railway Carmen, which is uh, part of TCU. Uh, you know, the Carmen are uh, the folks that, you know, maintain, inspect, and repair uh, freights and passenger rail cars all across the country. Um, and they've been kind of a pivotal part of this rail safety conversation in the wake of East Palestine. Uh, finally getting some traction on some safety issues that we've been raising for for a few years now. Um, so I don't know if you want me to kind of jump right into some of the issues or uh, kind of start at the beginning with what this PSR stuff has, has been or precision schedule railroading. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because that seems to have been a game changer. And uh, I talked to you know we we talk with uh, Greg Regan on a regular basis on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL CIO, and, and I get the opinion that yeah, I guess it's got some benefits, but then again, it's got some drawbacks. Can you address that? Why why don't you explain that part? To our listeners, I mean, everybody, you know, obviously technology is important. They want to streamline things. They want to monitor what trains are doing. They want to monitor what workers are doing today. But I'm going to let you pick it up from there, Dave. Sure. Well, uh, you know, precision scheduled railroading is a bit of a misnomer um, to start off. You know, PSR, uh, as we call it in the industry, you know, is supposed to be this a uh, revolutionary operating model for the railroads, um, you know, promised all this more on-time performance, better scheduling for the customers and 
uh, general all-around efficiency, uh, you know, as part of the business model, but that's not really what happened. Uh, PSR, as we've come to see it, uh, in the, especially in the big four in, uh, in America, which is BNSF, Union Pacific, Norfolk Southern, and BSX, uh, you know, it has not been precise or well-scheduled. And, you know, as a lot of uh, railroaders tell you, you know, hardly resembles real railroading. Um, but the reality of, of PSR was just kind of a, an excuse to drastically, drastically reduce the employee headcounts at the railroads, you know, putting more and more work that remains onto those who are, are still stuck around, um, but also really de- degrading the service for, you know, customers. Um, they have seen worse service over the years. I mean, that's why we had this uh, you know, landmark hearing in the Service Transportation Board, which, for those unaware, the STB, Service Transportation Board, is a little-known federal agency that regulates, um, you know, freight commerce, the economic side of the freight rail industry. It's a way for shippers and the railroads to, uh, you know, kind of discuss their claims, what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they we had a big hearing um, called in Urgent Issues in Freight Rail Service uh, because in the wake of, you know, COVID and uh, the uptick in the supply chain, there were, and, and the drastic headcount reductions from PSR and then also in COVID, uh, you know, you had a crisis uh, going on across the country. Uh, people weren't able to get goods. I mean, everybody remembers the toilet paper days. Um, you know, it was a really, really big problem. And unfortunately, it's all very self-inflicted. You know, these railroads, they cut to the bone. Uh, you know, for the carmen in particular, you know, these guys are, again, the ones that are inspecting uh, and maintaining and repairing these, these freight cars uh, over the you know, last few years in the PSR era. Uh, we've seen anywhere from 33% to 40% reduction in headcounts, um, you know, depending on the railroad. And that's a pretty crazy number for an industry that doesn't seem much in terms of technological innovation, right? It's not like somebody invented the wheel or the internet came out. Uh, we're still a steel wheel and a steel rail. Um, cars are basically the same thing uh, they were a few years ago. They are now. Um, it's just that they don't want as many carmen out there uh, inspecting these cars. And uh, one of the things that was really highlighted in this, uh, you know, fault lines documentary that I, th- I think you guys will, will share in the show notes, but uh, you know, how these, these carmen are not being, they're, they're not being allowed to do their job in the first place, uh, which is, again, to inspect these cars. Uh, and on top of that, they don't really want them doing it. You know, the, the railroads do not want the carmen inspecting these cars. Why? Because the carmen find defects. They slow up trains. And right. the whole PSR scheme is how to move things faster and faster and faster. And one thing's that one thing that really slows stuff up, safety inspections, right? 
Hmm. So what does this mean at the end of the day for, uh, you know, America's communities? Uh, it's not just about, you know, rail workers us sitting here complaining at the end of the day. It's, it's really about the communities that our trains pass through. And that's the thing that we were talking about for years uh, prior to East Palestine. And when East Palestine finally occurred, uh, unfortunately, you know, we were all kind of shaking our head and saying, we told you so. This was coming yeah. down the road. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now we have an entire community whose, you know, property values are decimated at the very least. Uh, who knows what kind of long-term health impact impacts, uh, you know, the folks down there will face. Um, but, you know, that's what has really spurned uh, this interest in a rail safety bill. And the two, you know, Ohio senators have been really great on this. Uh, you know, Sherrod Brown and J.D. Vance have been uh, trying to whip votes in the Senate as much as possible. Uh, we finally got the bill out of the Commerce Committee. Uh, and it's a, it's a really great piece of legislation. Uh, you know, it will finally, once and for all, set a standard so that our carmen are not harassed into inspecting these cars in 30 seconds or less. Which yeah. is do their job. Utterly insane. Yes. Yeah. So, Dave, we have two senators in the state of Ohio. We need a lot more <laughs> in order to get this legislation to the finish line. How, how are we faring right now? Well, we're close. We're actually pretty darn close. Uh, as your listeners may recall, there, there's, there's this thing called the, the filibuster in the Senate. Uh, requires 60 votes to move any piece of legislation through it. And uh, we are close. We're hovering around 58 votes right now, and we need those, those last two, three votes to get us over the finish line. Um, you know, the big, I think eventually this will pass the Senate. Uh, I don't know when exactly it's going to hit the floor. Um, you know, the other big question uh, is the House. Uh, you know, there has mm -hmm. been very little interest in the House of Representatives thus far. Um, you know, the, the Ohio delegation itself obviously has been all over this and wanting to push something through. Um, but the rail industry, they have pretty deep pockets and they are very well connected in Washington. They're one of the most powerful lobbying groups in the country. Uh, yeah. they get what they want. And, um, you know, so we'll see, we've got to, we've got to get folks out there continuing to, you know, beat the drum on this and writing their, their members of Congress and saying we need some real rail safety in this country. Uh, yeah. Inspect the damn trains. You know, it's kind of a, a basic concept. It, it's a no-brainer. Now, now enter this Fault Lines documentary that you reference. Now, is that uh, what you're using to try to convince those that are kind of skeptical about the legislation right now? Is that your tool in the toolbox? I mean, that's that's one of them. Um, you know, these these folks kind of came to us right after, you know, East Palestine. There are a whole number of articles uh, written, you know, and it's not just this documentary. You know, it started off actually, uh, the Wall Street Journal did a great investigative piece. Uh, you can Google it. I think the headline is hurry up and get it done. Uh, you know, it's a deep dive investigation piece that ran on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So not, you know, a lefty rag here, right? Like right. the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> and, 
you know, really highlighted the pressures applied to, you know, Norfolk Southern employees and specifically the carmen. You know, these guys used to be allowed three, four, five minutes a car. And that was, you know, kind of loosely enforced as it was. Um, you know, mind you, we're talking about 90 points of inspection per side at minimum, depending on the, you know, type of car you're working at. Uh, you know, 180 in total. So if you're going, you're doing 180 points of inspection in one minute, that's not a lot of time to actually look at these things. And again, coming back to what I mentioned earlier, that's even if they let the Carmen inspect it in the first place. So that's the secondary part of this problem is the railroads want to put the inspections more on the conductors themselves. They don't want to do it. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, you know, as one conductor has talked about, you know, we may be, you know, speaking from the, the point of a conductor, we maybe have the uh, associates in car inspections, but the carmen are the PhDs. You know, these, these carmen, they spend three years, 732 working days as a carmen apprentice to finally become a journeyman. This is not a you know, walk off the street and start being a carmen day one. You have to learn. You have to train. Uh, you have to be able to identify all these little things that go on, but are critical, uh, to the safety of the rails, uh, from safety appliances to brakes, uh, to couplings, draft gears, flanges on the wheels. I mean, these, these carmen have little gauges where they go around and check the, uh, the flanges on the wheels to make sure they don't hop off the track and run right into your car at a crossing. Um, you know, so that again, sorry to kind of divert there, but the the fault lines documentary, uh, you know, is a really good documentary in that it really covered the issue. And our Carmen president Don Grissom uh, did a phenomenal job explaining the pressures applied. Uh, you know, they, as he said in that documentary, they don't want us, but us being the Carmen, inspecting these things. Because the Carmen find the bad orders, the bad orders slash, you know, AKA defects, and that delays the train. Uh, so at the end of the day, we need, you know, legislation to fix all this uh, and or the FRA to step up uh, their enforcement. Uh, because to date, it's been it's been lacking. Profits over people. We've heard it many times. Obviously, it pertains to the rail industry in this situation. Dave Aruka joining us on our live line today. He is the National Legislative Director for the Transportation Communications Union, tcunion.org. Dave, you take care. Thanks for all the information. Let's uh, stay in touch on this issue, and hopefully uh, we'll get it in, get it over the uh, finish line in the Senate, and then we got to work on the House. Okay, brother? All right. Thanks so much. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the origin of Labor Day, the Economic Policy Institute, and Fred Redman of the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.